Operation Snow White is the name given to an unprecedented infiltration of the US government by the Church of Scientology during the 1970s. The core mission of the program was to expose and legally expunge all false and secret files of the nations of operating areas, and to enable Church seniors and L. Ron Hubbard himself to frequent all Western nations without fret. By the end, of course, there was nothing legal about their endeavors. To him. Um, however, not everybody fell for that particular suitable guise, and a lot of government agencies says, uh, "Well, get out of here with your movie. We're not, we're not interested." <laughs> you know, we're not, so they didn't give them their files. Same files. I know uh, one of my juniors had a suitable guise that he had made, where he was able to obtain some government files legally, because a suitable guise is legal. It's their uh, problem if they give it to you, right? He got some Justice Department files with a suitable guys. He was doing a uh, anti-Scientology movie, and some people did turn over their files to him. Um, however, not everybody fell for that particular suitable guys, and a lot of government agencies says, uh, "Well, get out of here with your movie. We're not. We're not interested." <laughs> you know, we're not. So they didn't give him their files. What is Scientology? How would you describe it? Well, it's very interesting. You've just asked. A question like, what are the contents of the Encyclopedia Britannica? Answer in one word. Welcome everybody to nwczradio.com channel ones down the rabbit hole. I'm Big D and he is Brandon. <laughs> Hope everybody is doing well out there and want to thank you all for your, your emails. You can email us at down the rh at protonmail.com down the rh protonmail.com and want to thank our buddies over there at fringe radionetwork.com fringeradionetwork.com they carry our show and a whole lot more i have a lot of fun over there on their network they have a lot of great podcasts that you're not going to find uh, other places so brandon how are you doing today i'm doing pretty good i'm doing good it's been uh, really busy at work and uh busy in uh, my hobbies as well so it's yeah but i'm doing good i've heard rumors that things are kind of opening up a little bit up there in uh, the separate country of Washington State. Yes, the um, the vaccine mandate or the the vaccination proof in Seattle has or King County has kind of that's been dropped, and the uh, the mask mandate's supposed to finally drop on uh, the twelfth. So another what five days? Mask indoors, outdoors, mask for everybody. What's what what's the story on right that? now? It's just indoors. So supposedly after the twelfth, though, it's supposed to be. You have to wear it pretty much at the doctors and the dentist. Mm. And that's about the only places that they mandate it. So other than that, it's supposed to be like we can throw them away. Cool. Hey, well, congratulations. Uh, welcome to where I've been for, I don't know, whatever, four or five months now. <laughs> yeah, no. But I mean, it's one of those things. It's like for how long? Because, I mean, it was one of those things. Uh, King Inslee was asked, 
when he was going to release his emergency powers and he went on some tirade about how the the republicans love trump so I, he has oh, to keep them i heard to make that sure and protect the people i w- i couldn't i couldn't believe it i i heard that tirade that he went on and it had nothing to do with reality whatsoever it had zero to do with anything yeah it's zero to do with reality or the question he also claimed that trump didn't help him and i remember specifically him praising trump at the time because he sent that huge hospital that not one single person used that was at the baseball field and sent all kind of ventilators and PPE and everything. So he's a, he's an amazing character. He is. And I, I can't wait to get out of this state and get away from him. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's get rolling in today's show. And I have a question. This is a serious question because I don't think many people know about this. And I'm just wondering if, let's say you and I played man on the street and Mm -hmm. we interviewed or posed a single question or maybe a series of one to three questions to, I don't know, you name the the group, 10, 20, 50, and ask them, A, has the U.S. government ever been officially infiltrated? And B, who did it? Do you think they would know? No. Because really, honestly, before I started researching this, I didn't realize it. I would have never guessed. I would have guessed China, Korea, the UK, Russia, uh, Russia, but never, never what the actual answer is. It is eye-opening, to say the least. And to me, the concerning part is, as we get into this story, you're gonna real, you're gonna find out that it wasn't just a few here or there. There were up to 5,000 covert agents, and they didn't get them all. No, and they only know of a few. I mean, there could be a whole bunch more. They could still be there. I think they are, and that's what we're going to get into. So the actual, the, the answer is, is the Church of Scientology during the 70s put together this program called Operation Snow White, and it was their goal to infiltrate the U.S. government. And at first, they wanted to go in and basically expunge, whitewash, which is why they call it Snow White. They wanted to clear all the records of any negative con- context or connotations that had to do with the Church of Scientology. But mm-hmm. when they got found out, and it took a few years, but when they got found out and they dug deeper, they actually... When you got right down to it, they essentially wanted to take over not just the U.S. government. They had this operation going on in Canada, the U.K., and several other places. They were serious about it. Yeah, they were really serious about it. And under the guise that they were protecting, you know, their their stuff. Yeah. They're, they, they're protecting Scientology because they were being uh, persecuted. persecuted. Right. By the U.S. Really what it was is L. Ron Hubbard, whose real name is Lafayette Ronald Hubbard, for anybody who didn't know that. L. Ron Hubbard, who was author, science uh, fiction author, and then he wrote Dianetics. What really, I'll just say, triggered him, put him on this path, is they were making a killing here in the U.S. And I mean financially, they they were just rolling in the dough. And he wanted to expand this worldwide. Well, the U.S. government, along with 
Canada and a few others were putting the word out worldwide that these guys were a sham, a fraud, and you, they shouldn't be let into your country. Yeah. And L. Ron Hubbard wanted to go to any country in the world unimpeded to spread the, I'll just say, gospel of Scientology. And it was bugging him. It was pissing him off that he couldn't just roll into any country that he wanted to. Well, yeah, he should be able to. He's the, the I don't even, someday we're going to have to go down the Scientology beliefs, but he was the next coming of something. Oh, we definitely, definitely have to go into Scientology because it is, <laughs> that's a whole, that's a whole story in itself. I think that when we do it, it's going to end up being a, just like we did on the Mormons. It's going to be a month or longer. That'll be a mini series, no doubt about it. When I looked it up, this was the largest infiltration of the U.S. government in history, and they were also doing this in more than thirty countries. So it wasn't just a, it wasn't just Canada, it wasn't just the U.K. Thirty countries is how expansive this thing was. Now they had wow. the they had the most people in the U.S. government because that was their primary target. Which is yeah. seems like it's everybody's target, right? Everybody's target because the U.S. is the big, the big country, the big dog. They they have a lot of sway. That was how that went. So let's go into a little background before we get into the actual story. In 1966, the Guardian Office was established by L. Ron Hubbard. It eventually changed its name to the Office of Special Affairs. So the Office of Special Affairs, which was formerly the Guardian's office, they were this department of the Church of Scientology International. And they were kind of like the, I'll just say the CIA or the FBI of the Church of Scientology. Everybody who was obviously who was in this were Church of Scientology members, but not every Church of Scientology member was a part of this, if you, if you know what I'm saying. It was yeah. kind of it was kind of, it was a selective kind of elite group. And the craziest thing about all of it, other than them being basically compared to the CIA or the KGB, is that when you saw, when you agreed to become part of the Guardian's office, you were agreeing to a 1 billion year contract with a B. Yeah. Of course. 1 billion years because they believe in reincarnation they believe you come back over and over and over again i mean but think about that what's the average lifespan of a human look 80 years 80 82 is that where like that something like that it depends on where you're reincarnated as well so uh let's even just say you lived 100 how many lifetimes would you have to come back to fulfill that obligation more than a billion that's just insane. But that's that's where they were. That's insane. I mean, yeah, I, I can't even believe that. So their initial mission was to protect the interests of the Church of Scientology, gather information on agencies and individuals who they deemed as enemies of the organization or the church. They were also charged with internal monitoring of current Scientologists, in particular heretics and notable defectors. And if you're not familiar with that, 
they are wicked when it comes to people who leave the church. They're even wicked to people that they just believe aren't following exactly what they should be. Yeah, just Google um, up Operation yeah. or Duck, Duck, Go, however you do it, Operation Freakout, and see what they did to Paulette Cooper. Oh, yeah. It's horrible. And then and there's others. But Paulette Cooper is probably the most famous because she was well-known enough that the uh, FBI got involved because, I mean, she was a, she was a journalist – and they started messing with her, and it was um, it wasn't pretty. We don't, we're we're not going to do that story, but you should check it out. See what happened to Paulette Cooper. I'm look it up. Yeah, the Guardians were clicking along. L. Ron Hubbard started getting paranoid. I'll say, and he eventually started, wrote, he was paranoid for a while. Yeah, he's definitely he's definitely the paranoid type, but. He eventually wrote this Guardian Order 732, which is what unleashed this whole thing. Yeah. And it's basically, it's, I have the documents. I'll, I'll put it in the show links. It's called the Snow White Program. And the policy is attack is necessary to an effective defense. Situation, countries are being denied to OTC, the Apollo, and L. Ron Hubbard. And then it goes down and says, why? By spreading false reports, a cumulative file can be built in their own and other countries, which then tend to act on the file without the presence of the real scene data, which is factually good, but which is then ignored. So basically they're saying they're spreading false rumors about us. They're creating dossiers and files on us without the actual facts. Yes. And when we present them, because they were, they were sending all kind of propaganda to all these governments to try to get them to change this stuff. And they claimed they were being ignored. Under the section that says ideal scene, all faults and secret files of the nations of operating areas brought to view and leg legally expunged and OTC, Apollo, and L. Ron Hubbard are free to frequent all Western ports and nations without threat and all required ports open and free. Then they go down and they give the plan, which we'll talk about in detail in a moment. But there's, at the very end, there's a caution. And it says, the UN and the European Commission throw out the vast majority of petitions as inadmissible on exact and tiny legal and technical points so that to be successful, the most careful handling must be done with regard to these points. So they were getting rejected by, I'll just say, legal means. But you just can't have that. I mean, you know. They're the church of Scientology. They need to be able to do whatever they want. Actually, right before Snow White started, and it was kind of part of Snow White, it, it, it morphed into the infiltration of the government. They, and you heard the clip coming in where the guy was talking about suitable guises. They basically were trying to trick the U.S. government into handing over the files. So they were claiming to be filmmakers, yeah, to people who were doing documentaries on the church. And so they're like, hey, can we have these files? We're, we actually don't like the church, and so we're, we're trying to expose them. And the U.S. government did give some away, and then they caught on to it and said, no, get out of here. Yeah, take a hike. Go away. <laughs> the April 18th, 1973 was the official launch of this Operation Snow White. And at the same time, L. Ron Hubbard 
started this thing called Sea Org, which is Sea Organization. It is, I shouldn't say started. He started recruiting his the people for Snow White from this Sea Org. And Sea Org, if you if you think of like a Catholic monastery, or uh, where monks all live and hang out, that's what this was. This was the equivalent of that, but it was for Scientology. The Sea Org's organized organizational structure was an odd mixture of military and corporate management styles with staff members living in army-like conditions, receiving boot camp-type punishments for misdeeds, and holding militaristic titles within the organization. What do these guys do? Well, the Sea Org members handle most aspects and functions of the Church of Scientology. They do everything from cleaning the church to fundraising, from delivering auditing service to investi- investigating critics, cooking to executive management. All of these members live together, work together, eat together, and are not allowed to marry outside of the organization. The huge majority of Sea Org members are the children of Scientologists, or else they are longtime Scientologists who have been in the church, obviously, for years and years. And I thought this was, in this article, it's a, it's a great question. It's the one I had. What's the difference between Sea Org and, let's just say, Scientology staff? Well, so Scientology... Like yeah, Scientologists refer to staff as people who are not in the Sea Org but still work for Scientology. Sometimes people can join the staff because although they want to help Scientology, they have families to support and can't do, can't do it on Sea Org pay, which is basically nothing. It also says Sea Org members are not allowed to be married to someone who is not in the Sea Org. So sometimes people join the staff because their spouse does not want to join the Sea Org or they are disqualified from joining because of drug run-ins during their youth and joining staff is as close as they can get. And according to this article, there's between 10 and 20,000 Sea Org members as of the writing of this this article. That's a lot. Wow. And I'll put this that article Yeah, I'll put this article in there. The there's all kind of So these guys are hardcore. They don't have their own phone. They don't have phone numbers. They're not allowed cell phones. They can't watch TV. They, they can't have their own personal computer with internet connection. They're basically locked away. And they're doing the grunt work. And basically, they're doing whatever the Church of Scientology asks them to do. It says they live in small rooms with 3 to 12 other members. Members are often denied proper sleep and are often forced to skip meals because of the pressures of the job. Wow. Yeah. So it, I'll put this article in there. So this is a cult. These are brainwashed. Oh, the, they're living in cult-like conditions, and they're brainwashed. Oh, it definitely is. It's one of those things. I mean, that's like I said, we're going to definitely have to go down it because, I mean, once you start looking into Sea Org, then you get into the, the rehabil- Rehabilitation Project Force, um, which is a whole other nightmare of basically some of the stuff the Sea Org would do if, if they thought you weren't meeting the standards or you decided to leave. Um, they would do stuff that was people would compare it to stuff that would happen in the Soviet gulags. Oh yeah, some people even said that a Soviet gulag would be like a, a freaking vacation from what they would do. These people in the rehabilitation project force sounds like a lot of stuff. If you go back to some of the other cults we talked about, what they do to break their members. A lot of the tactics that the Scientologists used were directly from MK Ultra. I did find that link. Yes. That just gives you an idea. That's that's just a snapshot of 
where they're recruiting these people. So these are drones. These are Scientologist drones. Let's just call them that, let, let, for lack of a better term. They, they're bought in. They're, they are brainwashed, and they will do whatever they're asked. And so the Operation Snow White recruited from those people. So these weren't your average Scientologist. These were, this wasn't Tom Cruise. This wasn't Leah Remini. Wasn't any, it wasn't John Travolta. These are yeah. people who were longtime members. And like I said, mostly it was children of people who had been in for a while. So they're all completely brainwashed. Yeah. And none of them could be, I mean, you wouldn't, Tom Cruise, Leah Remini, Remini uh, John Travolta could never be Sea Org because they're too public. Yes, exactly. The Sea Org are supposed to be, it's almost covert. Yeah, the covert, like the black ops group. They're the ones that nobody, you know, they don't know who you are. You just, yeah, you cannot be a upfront and center person to be part of the Sea Org. So when Guardian Order 732 was written and it was basically calling for the removal and correction of what they called erroneous Scientology files, they hatched this plan that they were going to infiltrate Los Angeles and London offices of the IRS, the Department of Justice. They also wanted to go after the DEA, Drug Enforcement Administration, the U.S. Coast Guard Intelligence Service. I wasn't aware there was one. Yeah, no, that, that one was shocked me too. I'm like... I had to look, I had to look that up. <laughs> yeah, intelligence service isn't something I usually associate with the Coast Guard. No. And if you served in the Coast Guard, God bless you. We're just joking. We, we are. I mean, it's just what it's one of those ones. That I think the Coast Guard is the forgotten like oh, military force. One hundred percent. I mean, they keep our coast on point. They they do. They they do. They keep our coast on point. And I mean, I knew they had investigative investigative service, kind of like the NCIS or you know the Naval whatever service. Right. Um, I knew they had that, but I didn't realize they had an intelligence force. No, I yeah. didn't either. The church also was going to target the National Institute of Mental Health and the American Medical Association. They were giving out rewards for successful missions carried, about, carried out by Operation Snow White soldiers, I'll just say. Yeah. How they decided to do this is, and, and they were in it for the long haul. Now, remember, this is 1973 when this all started. So April of 1973 is when they put this basically into play. And they were in it for the long haul. They, they, weren't, they didn't just storm the Capitol and they didn't just show up and start rifling through stuff. They basically tried to come in the back door. They tried to get as many people as they could hired by all of these agencies. And they were successful. Yeah. They were successful. Well, they were because they were smart about it. They didn't try going for, oh, let's get them hired as the, you know, the the VP of the company. It's like, hey, let's get them hired as the receptionist. Let's get them hired as a bodyguard. Let's get them hired as something that the invisible worker, just like they were. They were the invisible, and they made them, you know, basically also invisible workers. I mean, they're not to sound bad if you're a receptionist or whatever, but they are the ones that most people overlook in a company. Nobody thinks to look at the receptionist when something goes, you know, when all of a sudden something bad's happening. It's just, they, they don't think of that. Yeah. They were in the mail room. They were clerks. They were uh, janitor staff. They were secretaries. They weren't trying to climb up the ladder. They were trying to infiltrate basically the lower level. Then they could walk, then yes. they could kind of, they all had, they got security badges, security clearances. They could kind of 
move around with impunity, not get hassled or questioned. Because remember, this is 1973, so there's no there, there's keys for doors. There's no key cards. They can't just lock you out at this point. I mean, maybe they had some surveillance system, but pretty rudimentary. And everything was typed. Everything was filed in, in file cabinets. I don't think there was anything at this point that would be on any kind of computer disk or not really no no and like you said they, they were the invisible workers those are the type of workers when you're in a in a company you know the and i don't mean invisible in a bad way i just mean they're the ones that could roam around and do whatever you know they could go into other rooms they can go places because secretaries have to get files they have to do all this so they're the workers no one pays attention to what they're doing yeah they're the background staff while all the important people are scurrying about doing their thing these guys are just typing away and, and, you know, running errands and whatever. And so what they did and they did successfully is they would sneak into offices. They would break into offices and grab files. And at first they just stole them and then they would ship them back to headquarters and then headquarters would do whatever they're going to do. Sometimes they sent them back, but, Things, were get, things got a little bit hot, I will say. People were starting to notice that files were missing. And so they had to slow down. And what they then started to do was just break in, grab them, and make photocopies, and then mail those back. Like I saw one where they, they shipped like 20 inches thick of files. Yeah. So we're not talking... Which is a safe. That's a lot of paper. Yeah, we're not talking about like a page or two. We're talking about files and files and files. They broke into the office of Barbara Bird, who was an attorney with the IRS. They broke into the U.S. branch uh, director of Bureau of Information and the collections officer, the assistant guardian for D.C., the deputy guardian for the U.S. I mean, they were all over the place. Oh, yeah, everywhere. And then... Uh, this person, Sharon Thomas, finally got in 1975. She she was the first one from this group to break into the U.S. Coast Guard Intelligence Agency. She began to work at the <laughs> Drug Enforcement Administration, which we don't even think to make those connections, but it totally makes sense. These guys weren't dumb about this. No, they but, weren't. And like we said, they made sure to pick people that no one would pay attention to. If you're the big earner, you're the VP, you're whatever, people pay attention to what you're doing. But when you're a secretary, you're a bodyguard. No one pays attention to what you're doing because you're just, oh, yeah, they're just, they're, they're whoever. Yeah, so then in the spring of 75, the, uh, the word got back that Mary Sue Hubbard, who, I think we forgot to say this, Mary Sue Hubbard, who's the wife, at the, was the wife at the time of L. Ron Hubbard, was put in charge of this entire operation. So she was the point person. L. Ron Hubbard just wrote the edict, the charge, and then he put his wife in charge so his hands were off of it. Although he was making all the calls, Mary Sue Hubbard's name <laughs> was on top of the list as who was in charge of this because they were keeping their own files. They had, they had their own. We'll get into that in a moment, how much they, uh, when they raided their compound, the Scientologists, how much they pulled out of there. But Mary, Mary Sue Hubbard, 
She was in charge, and she's the one who said, use any method at our disposal to win the battle and gain our nonprofit status back because they had been denied their nonprofit status as a church, and they were the IRS was after them big time for tons of money, tons of money. And that's what took, uh, amazes me in a lot of this, is a lot of this really comes down to, they were basically, it was about their image and about having you know, the, the nonprofit status. Yeah. And not paying taxes. Yeah. About, it was about status and taxes. I'm like, really your church. And this is what your problem is, is status and taxes. You want people to look at you correctly. And uh, yeah, it, it's amazing. Well, it's crazy. And they got caught up into this craziness and it was actually working. And so I think if you're do, if you know, you're doing something wrong, right. And, and or you're, you're going to rob a bank or you're going to, steal from a store or whatever and you concoct a plan and you're in the middle of the plan you're like hey this is going to work we're going to get away with this that's what was happening to them they're like wow we are actually doing this yeah so this went on for several years but we get to where they were found out because we could go through all of the cases uh, because it came out in court you can read the court documents all the places that they broke into like the IRS, the Office of Internal Operations, you name it. Wherever they were, they were they were basically because like I said, it went beyond after a while it went beyond, hey, let's get these documents to how do we overthrow the US? Now that we're in here, maybe we can just take over this joint. Yeah. And like I said, at some point it became that they wanted to just, you know, run it. Oh yeah. Not just the US, like you know, the, what is what did I say earlier, thirty countries they had this going on? Yeah. In 1976, it was on May 21st where it all started to go sideways. This is a great part of the story. Don't miss this. <laughs> because when we talk about they were operating in the shadows and like the least li- likely suspects, well, so is the person who busted them. That, that's what makes this story great. So on May 21st, there's this, these two guys, Meisner and Wolf, and they're, they're big time part of the Scientologists breaking in. They go to the United States courthouse of the District of Columbia and they sign in to do some research in the library. In doing so, they were given an elevator key and they rode the elevator to the floor of the library. They entered the library, moved some books from the shelves, sat at a table, and then they left. They left the books on the table. They walked out the back door, down a hallway to one of the target offices. Mm -hmm. So they entered the office. They had keys to it because one of them worked there. They stole a bunch of documents, walked away through the hallway to some copy machines. Now, remember, again, this is 1976. Copy machines were not in everybody's homes. They weren't even really in the public. It wasn't until years later that you had to go down and, you know, do a dime a copy. I don't know if anybody yeah. remembers that going to the library and pumping in dimes. You remember that? Oh yeah. It was expensive and they all had counters and they were all serviced by Xerox or IBM or somebody. And they, they kept track of the papers, you know, who was, who was authorized to use it. It was a big deal. It was fairly new technology. Anyway, so they go in and they, they run off, Six inches of documents, six inches of paper, 
which is almost a ream, isn't it? Isn't that like what they come in these days? The a packet, about six inches. Yeah, but the ream's actually I'm smaller than that, I think. Yeah, so they're I mean, running. The ream is probably like two and a half, three inches maybe. So they're running I've off. I've never been good at measuring. Yeah, they're running off copies like a madman, and it must have taken a while because they weren't. Wasn't all the same page? They're flipping through files and they're having to switch out pages and then run copies. That's a, a long time, a lot of copies. So yeah, so then they took the originals back to the office that they got them from. So now f- go forward a week. This pair, Wolf and Meisner, meet again outside the IRS building. They walk into the courthouse si- and this time they sign in under fake names. Why? We don't know. And they did the same thing. There's they a did. lot of things they did that were really weird. I don't know if they thought somebody was tracking them, if they were getting paranoid. I don't know. But they did the same thing that they had done before. They went into the library, got a bunch of documents, went and ran them off. However, when they were going back to the office that they had stolen the documents from through the library, they were stopped by the, the night librarian. And this is where, this is where they, it all went sideways. And she asked them if they had signed in. And they said, well, yeah, we signed in at the front desk. But you were, if, even if you signed into the front desk coming into the building, you still had to sign in at the front desk of the library. And when they told this uh, Johnson, that's the only name I can find. I looked everywhere. The, the only yeah. name I could find of this librarian is Johnson. I believe it's a he. The night librarian told the pair not to come back unless they had specific authorization from the day librarian. So he he thought something was up and he was like, you're not authorized to be here. Get out. Don't come back unless you have permission. And then three days later, I think, he, you know, this guy Johnson's thinking about this, probably did some backtracking, maybe, you know, went to the copier. We don't know. But three days later, he notified the U.S. attorney's office about these two individuals who had been using the photocopying machines and that they were told to leave. Johnson was told if they come back, call the FBI right away. Yeah, because they were creepy. Well, yeah, it was, it was out of the ordinary. It was nighttime. There's hardly anybody there. And it, and it was actually like really close to closing time when they were doing this, when they knew nobody would be there. Which is smart. I mean, do it when you know no one's going to be there. You're not going to have to worry about people noticing you being like, why are these guys doing this? Because I know on one of them they did. They didn't know like where the copier was in one building. I couldn't find it. And I think it was the night librarian on this one where they were walking back and forth between one building and the other to go make copies and come take the papers back. Yeah, with just stacks of papers in their hands. Just stacks of papers in their hand, go make copies, and then take them back. So For hours. Nothing suspicious there. So after Johnson was told to contact the FBI, it was about two weeks later that Meisner was given the directives from the top to go back to this office and to steal the files. Stop. They, they figured they'd had enough and they didn't want those files to exist. So he was supposed to steal them. And also they wanted to formulate this plan that they would be removing this person, this office, the, the guy's name was Doddle, and he was the assistant U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia. They wanted him out. Apparently, he had quite the dossier on them. So now we're in June, June 11th, around 7 in the evening, and Meisner and Wolf, they sign in, and they go to the library, 
And the same librarian, Johnson, night librarian, is there, and he recognized them immediately. That's like almost a month later, and he still recognized them. But I think it's because of the pattern. They came in late at night. They were the only ones there. They didn't really do anything. They, they didn't, like, read books or check anything out. So he was hip to them. Oh, yeah. So when he stopped and asked for ID, well, Meisner was ready, and he showed the man a letter from the head librarian. Now, we don't know if it was legit or not. So I don't know if they forged it or if they actually got one. We don't know. Well, Wolf and Meisner got the okay, and they continued to the back of the library where they did the same thing. They exited into the hallway. They went into the office. However, this time there were, there were, two, there were some cleaning ladies that were still working in this office. <laughs> they had to wait for the crew to get done and get out of the office. So I think that might be another clue that they're now just wandering around. Yeah. Killing time. Well, they're probably killing time because I know one of the ones that I was reading about, they said that a couple times they'd kill time because they'd go up and someone was cleaning the room. or The, the uh, maids were there or something. So they were like, oh, and then they'd kill time until they could, you know get in there or whatever it's fascinating though it's absolutely fascinating how they did this so oh, yeah. when the cleaning crew's done they go back into the office they do their thing while they're doing this the night librarian calls the fbi who sends two agents over immediately and the two agents confront these the scientologists demand to see their id and wolf had his real identification because he actually was work, st- was working for the government. Yeah. And Meisner had a fake card, told agency he had recently resigned from the IRS, which was true. So I don't know if they had, you know, taken his badge away when he quit, you know, when he quit from the IRS or whatever, but... You'd hope. Well, you would think so. So maybe that's why he had this fake card. But any- anyway, he had a fake card. And Meisner told this FBI agent, that they were in the library to do legal research and they had to use the photocopiers and blah, 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 blah. Of course, you know, they didn't mention exactly what they were really there for because they're not going to. After about 20 minutes of questioning, which is a long time, the FBI agent let them go. Meisner calls the headquarters and they told him to get home right now. They go back and this is where we get the largest raid in up to this time, U.S. history, and I haven't found any. Have you found anything that tops this raid? I looked. No, everything I kept finding kept saying that it's the largest one. I mean, I've seen a couple that said at that time, but then all the other ones said that's the, the largest raid in U.S. history and have not been able to find one that was bigger or, or anything. So, yeah. Wolf and Meisner, they, ba- they got arrested. That was in July. Uh, and and Wolf entered a guilty plea. Meisner actually escaped, but then went back to the church, and they were they were hiding him. Wolf was sentenced to probation and community service, and he testified before the grand jury. But he lied, and they found out, and that brought the raid. July eighth, the FBI raided the Church of Scientology in Lo- in Los Angeles, Hollywood, and Washington D.C. The Los Angeles raid involved 156 FBI agents. It lasted 21 hours, and they filled a 
ton truck with documents and some other items. A lot. That's a lot of documents. You have to figure a 16 ton truck. That's got to be what? So 16 tons, 32,000 pounds. It could be a probably a 26 foot box truck. Oh yeah. And apparently it was stacked to the seal. I mean, it was fully loaded down. Dang, that's a lot of room. So 26 feet by eight by seven. It's a lot of room. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff. That's a there. There were yeah. They were hand trucking boxes and boxes of files and stuff out on that day. So this is what they found out in the raid. They, it turned up documentation, not only the group's infiltration into the United States, but lots of other illegal activities. The Scientologists claimed that these were these, these were necessary, but they were basically these were enemies of Scientology that they were working on. We talked about Operation Freakout. This is where they, that came yep. up with Paulette Cooper. They had perpetrated fake bomb threat charges and a conspiracy to frame Gabe Cesares, mayor of Clearwater, Florida. Don't know why. They tried to also hit him up with fake hit and run charges. Also revealed that Sir John Foster, author of the official UK government inquiry into Scientology and Lord Banile, who had requested the report were targets along with the National Association for Mental Health and the World Federation for Mental Health. Wow. Of course, they came out swinging and compared the FBI to the Gestapo, which is, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, they claimed the, you know, the files were seized illegally. Even though the FBI produced a 40-plus page affidavit detailing 160 specific items that they were looking for. I saw that 40-page you know, affidavit. I mean, that's an, a warrant with 40 pages of you know, 160 specific items. That's insane. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and to me, here's the sad part. Like we said, there were estimated 5,000, but they don't really know. Could be more. Could be a little less, to be fair. But on August 1978, only 11 high-ranking members of Scientology were indicted. And they were indicted on basically 28 charges. Uh, Mary Sue Hubbard was indicted and then you wouldn't know these names so it doesn't make really it doesn't really matter they were all sent to jail they appealed but they were denied yeah and mary sue hubbard was getting was sentenced to five years and that's what amazes me on this they infiltrated our government i know they had a plan to infiltrate and like steal documents and do all this stuff against the United States government. And they're like, yeah, you can serve five years. Well, by 1990, all everybody was free. But here's the thing, Mary, this is the sad thing, really, because L. Ron Hubbard was the author of this, and he was also calling the shots from the top. There's no doubt. They all said it. And he did get convicted in absentia, but they could never find him. He went into hiding. And when Mary Sue oh, yeah. Hubbard, yeah, when Mary Sue Hubbard got arrested, she never saw L. Ron Hubbard again. He he didn't communicate with her. She didn't know where he was. He he was off on his boat. And we'll talk about that when we talk about Scientology because that was crazy. 
oh yeah once you start hearing about what was happening on the boat and the fact that and part of it too is like once we talk about scientology uh i think by that point i don't think he was even control it was the teenage girls that were running doing everything for him right i think he knew his days were numbered and he was just well there's a lot like i said once we go into scientology that i think for the last couple of years of his life he had a a team of like teenage to young like early 20s women that pretty much did everything for him and right. even talked to everyone for him and like and no one saw them him but the, these women and a lot of people think he quit making decisions at some point and they took over yeah it reminds me of the what was that the church of god with the uh, father david moses when he went into hiding mm -hmm. and nobody saw him again except he'd do some videos here or there but mostly he wrote and a lot of people said for years it wasn't even really him writing he was just yeah withering away on some island somewhere Yep, and that somebody else was actually running the show. So the official church statement on this is they claimed that the jail members of Guardians Org were declared, quote, suppressive people by the Church of Scientology and had to undergo rehabilitation in order to resume their upper levels training in the church. And that's when the Rehabilitation Project Force comes in. Exactly. They also said that Really, the only thing the operatives did wrong was steal some photocopy paper. That's that's the only thing that the church will cop to. They they did nothing more serious than stealing some photocopy paper. That's yeah. that's their position. Snow White went a lot of places, but most importantly, they went to Canada. That resulted in legal proceedings up there as well. I mean, they think they're untouchable. It's one of those things that you know. Oh, he's a a religious person and he's whatever and no they can't persecute me but that's why they got the boat and by boat one thing that i think people need to remember too we're not talking just like he got a yacht they bought like a basically it was one of the cruise ships yeah it was like an ocean liner yeah so i mean he he was living on basically he was on an extended cruise forever where he had this entire cruise ship to just him and the sea org people we didn't really talk about what happened to some of the judges because the church of scientology did not make it easy for the government we kind of blew over that we did a little bit but they tried to set up several of the judges there was one judge that they they tried to lure in with <clears throat> i'll just say i think it was prostitutes it was definitely it was women and they were going to try to take pictures of this judge in you know compromising positions they harassed this one lady judge so bad that she recused herself because they were she said they were threatening her and they they didn't let up these guys yeah. these guys went after them to me the biggest problem here is i mean i'm glad they got caught and everything but we don't know how many were left behind yeah we, the church did get their tax status back which is shocking because it's not a church at all. No, it's not even close. It's like, it's hard to say because one of those things, I mean, who's to judge what religion is, but yeah, I don't know. So they lost it twice and then they, they kept getting it back. They claim that they went through and restructured everything. And so the business side of the church, which would be you know selling books and all of that stuff, is a separate entity and then that the church itself 
is but it's funny because when Scientology first started it wasn't it was not called the Church of Scientology. They no. they tacked that on to basically skirt the IRS. And look, I'm I'm all for <laughs> I'm all for people getting back from the IRS whatever they can and, and paying as little taxes as possible because it's yeah. been proven over and over again. So I real I don't I don't have a problem with that so much, except that they were lying and the way they went about it was not to do it legally, but was to set up this crazy operation where they decided, oh, let's go take over the U.S. government. Let's just go steal all this stuff. Let's whitewash all of these negative reports on us and let's shut this whole thing down. So, Because uh, my guess is is their hope was when they wanted to go into a, a new country, let's say Spain or France or wherever, if Spain or France calls the U.S. and says, what do you know about this group? You know, should we let them in? And even if the U.S. government said, no, we don't think you should, we sh that you should let them in, there had to be some sort of proof. Why? Yeah. So if they had gotten rid of all of the documents when they go to pull the files and say, well, this is what we have on them. Then there's nothing there. True. Which would mean that they, you know, then they had no proof and the other countries would let them in. But yeah, we don't, I don't know a single politician who has ever copped to or publicly stated that they're a Scientologist. Yeah. A lot of these positions are appointed or hired on. You don't vote for them. They work for the government. They they roll over president after president. We don't even know who they are. We can't get rid of them. We don't even know what their agendas are. And we know for a fact that we've had, you know, Chinese spies in the White House and with senators, Congress people. I think it was Eric Swalwell was sleeping with one for a while. And you had um uh, somebody, from, one of them from out in California, their driver was a Chinese spy for, I don't know, 20 years or something like that. So we know wow. it, we know it happens. Oh, yeah. But if they didn't, but, if they didn't go through and expunge all of these people, that means they could still be there. They could be in positions where they're hiring. So the Church of Scientology could be way deeper into the U.S. government than we actually know about. Yeah, completely. Because it's one thing, like you bring up the whole thing of, you know, we don't know who in the government is, you know, could be a Scientologist, because it's one of those things, look at uh, Mitt Romney. Do you, uh, honestly, I think he had a much better shot if people, because a lot of people wouldn't vote for him just because he's Mormon. They're like, I don't care if I agree with you on anything. You're Mormon. I don't want you running my, com my, my country. Um, and I think the Scientologists would be the same way. We could probably have someone who we think is, this is a great candidate. I agree with everything they say. And then all of a sudden they're like, he's a Scientologist. And you're like, I'm out. I'm out. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, the only place, yeah. the only place, you know, Mitt Romney or Orrin Hatch or any of those guys had you know, any legs at all politically was Utah, maybe Idaho, you know, where there's a Mormon stronghold. Scientology, we don't know. We have no yeah. clue. And that's, I think. It's smart enough not to say it. And that's what bothers me the most because I don't know really what their agenda is. To be fair, maybe they maybe when this operation was done, the church pulled them all out. I don't I couldn't find anything that said that they did. 
There was the, never in any of the documents or reporting on this did they say, yes, we swept through, we found names, fired up, nothing. It was just those 11 members and L. Ron Hubbard's wife and a few others at the headquarter, they were the only ones. Yeah, well, I mean, because partly too, and I mean, of course, the Scientology isn't going to say what they did because they don't even, they won't even admit it happened. So, I mean, if you go to their website, which, you know, I found a, a thing called the, the Stand League, which is, you know, all for protecting the, you know, Scientology. What is it? Scientologists taking action against discrimination is what it stands for. The study doesn't make sense because it's not even good enough. The acronym doesn't fit. But, but yeah, they, they don't even admit that it happened. They say, you know, that they only use the, the Freedom of Information Act. They never stole anything. They never put anyone in place to steal anything. This is all propaganda and lies that the government is saying, you know, and that they, they only ask for, for information under the Freedom of Information Act. And they never did any of this. Oh, right. Well, there's also, I found a website called xscientologykids.com. And I'll lean heavily on this when we do our Scientology report because it's a bunch of people who left Scientology and a lot of them were very high up. Now, again, they're ex-Scientologists. You kind of have to take that for what it is. They obviously don't like the organization. But a lot of, a lot of the information here checks out, especially because I did a lot of the research for this topic through them and did cross-referencing. And it, it goes hand in hand. I don't know that they're 100% correct, but I do know that several of the people who wrote articles on this website claim to have been really close to the operation or their parents were, and they knew all about it. Yeah. So and again, all sorts of stuff you can find, because I found a thing called, uh, on a site called Xenu.net that has a whole bunch of information where it talks about how all the programs underneath the, the Snow White program, you know, project umbrella. So, and there's a bunch of them. They all different countries, Algeria, Australia, Austria, Belgium, Denmark, um, all of them. A lot yeah. of Germany. They really don't like Germany, and Germany doesn't like them. But, yeah. <laughs> I so, think, uh, I think yeah. if you got down to it, they were attempting a global coup through through governments. Yes. Starting they, with... They were trying to do the new, the new Scientology order. Yes. Yes. I agree. I, I 100% agree, which is weird because if you read through their doctrine... They're, they they supposedly keep coming back over and over and over and over again. So why would you need to take over it now? Like what, or in the seventies, especially like the seventies weren't that great. No, but I don't know. I, I was born in 77. So, I mean, the best part of the seventies happened after that because <laughs> I was finally there. So something good did come out of the seventies. There was some good music too, but man, the fashions were horrible. Yeah, but most of them are coming back. I've seen that. It's very weird. It's very weird to see that, but it is, it is. So, all right, well, that's, that's it. Operation Snow White. So you can chalk this up as another one of those conspiracies that everyone said, will we'll say, Oh no, that's a conspiracy. The U S has never been infiltrated. The U S government yes, is bulletproof. There's never been a coup attempt. They might point to January 6th, which is baloney. This was way, way bigger than that. Only 11 people went down for it, and over 5,000 people were involved in it. It makes you wonder 
Where are they? Of course, this is the 70s, so a lot of these people retired. They're out of it. But did they open doors for other Scientologists? And it's very possible because if they, you know, start off in a low level, they could have gone up a little bit farther. And then they could have easily, you know, hired other people in. And, I mean, it, it becomes a window. Bring them in. You know how that works. You become the rep. You get to know everybody. Everybody likes you. And when you're about to retire, you're going to leave. You say, hey, my friend Joe over here, great replacement, can't recommend him enough, give him a shot. And a lot of times it is. It's, it's who you know. Yeah. Don't know that that's what's going on. It makes you wonder. And as you watch the news, and I don't watch the news much, but when I watch the news or I read the news, when I see something that is a decision that's made or a policy that's put in, put in place, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. You know something is going on behind the scenes and something's going on behind it, and you wonder why, who, and what for. This could be one of the answers. Could be. Yeah. So. And it could be. I mean, it's one of those things, too. And, I mean, really the one way I'll end kind of my stuff on this is um, in their the stand league, they, the way they end their whole thing on Operation uh, Snow White is the Church of Scientology will continue to be a champion of freedom of information. This is the proud legacy of Mr. Hubbard's Snow White program. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Talk about PSYOP. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. I'll be with you during the midweek. A lot of people asking me, what do I think about this whole Russian Ukraine thing? I'll address that. Plus, it's been a while since we've been together. I got a whole lot of stuff to share with you. Brandon, have a great week, and we will be back here next Sunday. Yes, we will. All right, everybody. I'm Big D, and we're out of here. See you later.